The following is a presentation of the Connection Church, a place where people are being set free. If you'd like to know more information about our community, you can join us online at connectionchurchnc.com. I want to share some pretty staggering numbers with you before we go any further this morning. And the first one is this. Did you know that every eight seconds, every eight seconds, there's a baby born in this world? Every eight seconds. Do you know that every 12 seconds someone dies in this world? Do you know there's 321 million people in the United States of America? 321 million people. Do you know that there's 7.2 billion people in the world? You guys can't even wrap your mind around that number, can you? 7.2 billion people. Do you know that if you were to take 7.2 billion $1 bills and stack them on top of each other, do you know that that would reach basically from here to Jacksonville, Florida? That's 7.2 billion. You see, that's a staggering number to us, isn't it? It's almost overwhelming number. You see, I start to think of that number not only as 7.2 billion but I start to dig a little deeper in that number and I start to think about how many people are actually hurting out there. Think about in 7.2 billion, think of how many people are hungry. I want you to think about in 7.2 billion, how many people are helpless? How many people are hopeless? I don't know that number. But I can just assume that there's at least one billion. You think we could agree on one billion that's out there, that's hurting, that's helpless, that's probably hungry, that's hopeless? A billion. It's a staggering number. You see, that number is so large. I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear numbers like that, I just wonder, what are we going to do about it? Let's just assume there's a billion helpless people in this world. How are we going to make a difference? Let me ask you this, what are we going to do? I mean, where do we even start? Because that's a staggering number. I know that there's two types of people in this room today. There's a flight or fight theory. You see, there's some of us that we hear this and we want to go do something now. Like we want to start, we don't really know where, we don't know how, we don't know what we're going to do. But those of us who are a part of the flight category, I mean the fight category, we want to go do something we want to leave our seats, and we want to go do something. But then there's part of us, and I hate to say it, but I fall into this category. I'm the flight. Like that number of hurting people is so staggering that I sit here sometimes almost paralyzed, not knowing what to do. So I am in the flight category. Some of you have heard this story. I've told it before from this stage. 
But a couple of Christmases ago, my family and Pastor Bradley's family, we were in Atlanta, Georgia. And we were just minding our own business, and all of a sudden we heard this blood-curling scream because a gentleman, a man who was just walking a crosswalk, got run over by a car. Killed him dead right there. People screaming and all this, and Pastor Bradley is with me, and he takes off running. And I froze. Bradley goes over there and starts doing CPR and brings this guy back to life. All the while, I'm standing over here frozen in fear. Like, I am in shock of what has happened. I played it off like I was praying for the gentleman's wife, whose husband had just been run over, but I just didn't know what to do. You see, I believe that that is what's taken place, maybe even here in our own little society. We can't wrap our minds around 7.2 billion. We can't wrap our minds around 321 million. And so, you and I... We simply freeze. We're paralyzed because we don't know where to start. What I'm getting ready to share with you for the rest of our time this morning, and listen, it's only for Christ followers in the room. You see, because those of us who love Jesus have accepted His death on the cross, those of us who know that He is our Savior, we do not get the option of doing nothing any longer. I don't care if you are a part of my group that is the flight group. We do not get to use the excuse that we're just afraid. We do not get the option of doing nothing because Jesus Christ, and it is explicitly clear in the Gospel, He was a man of action. Jesus did something And so church, Christ followers, we must join in what He was doing, and we've got to do something. I don't know where we start. I don't know how we do it. But church, sitting and doing nothing is no longer an option. We're going to look at a story today in John chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. And it's a story in John chapter 5 that gives us just a small snippet of what Jesus' life was like. you got to understand, Jesus only did ministry for three years. And Jesus was a man of action. He was doing something. You see here on the screen is a shot that Pastor Brent Bennett took when he was in Israel. And this ruins this site that you see here on the screen is the pool of Bethesda. It's what's talked about here in John chapter 5, and it is a place that still stands to this very day. This was taken back in November. So this is what it looks like today. The pool of Bethesda was a place where a lot of hurting, crippled, sick, diseased people went. You see, the story is told that if the waters were stirred, the first person into the water they would be healed. And you see those little holes there, especially right in the middle, that would have typically been filled with water. So all kinds of diseased people, lepers, the lame, the paralyzed, this is where they were. And in John chapter 5, we pick up in this story and it says this. It says, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Verse 2, it says, Now there in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, 
Bethesda actually means house of mercy. So that's another thing that I picked up on when I was in Israel. Everything, every building, every road, every mountain, every gate had a name. And it meant something. It described basically what we were looking at. This place that you saw that picture of was Bethesda, and that meant house of mercy. And so Jesus is wandering around Jerusalem, and he comes to a place called Bethesda. And it was surrounded by five colonnades, five covered colonnades. And it says, verse 3, listen to this. It says, here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. A great number. You see, church, why we do what we do here is not so that we can be a part of a group of people. Not so that when we talk to people out on the street, we can say, oh, I'm a part of Connection Church. But why we gather here as a group of people is to learn and to be taught about this man, Jesus. And it's not so that we can just have a lot of head knowledge about Jesus, but it's about being filled with His presence so that when we leave this place, we can start making a difference. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus only ministered for three years. But everywhere He went, He was making a difference. He was impacting people's lives. I just want to tell you a little bit about this man, Jesus, this morning. It's something that you and I can start to represent. We can reflect His life when we get up from here, when the last song is played, when Amen is said, and we go out into this real world. Guys, we have an example of how we need to be living our life. And the first thing I want you just to hear this morning, what God is laying on my heart, is that Jesus was making himself available. Jesus was making himself available. you got a picture of this place. Bethesda was not a place where the kings frequented. I'm not even sure if kings even visited this place. This was not a place where princes, this is not a place where the higher ups ever visited See, this was a place where death and a stench and the hurting and the crippled and the low people on the totem pole, that's where they went. You've got to understand something that God, Jesus, went to this place. And the reason He went to this place is because He was making Himself available. The God that you and I worship was not interested in attending all of the elite dinners. He was not interested in going out there and making a name for himself. He was not busy in his schedule. He was not filled up with trying to connect and network with who was going to move him up the ladder. If Jesus was concerned with making a name for himself, he would have never made himself available at a place like Bethesda. He would have been hanging around the temple. 
He would have been hanging around with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, not those who are paralyzed and sick and dying. But Jesus was constantly making himself available. And so I ask you this morning, just those of you who have accepted Christ, again, this is what God expects of us. What do your schedules say about you? How much stuff are we filling our days with that are doing and promoting ourselves? What does our schedule look like? I will ask you the simple question Hey, Christ follower, are you available? For those people, those occasions, and those situations that God is placing you in. See, Jesus went to a place where people were dying. Because He knew that that was a place where there was hopelessness. You say, well, Scott, I just wish you could come to my workplace. I wish you'd hear Betsy who's in the cubicle beside of me, she complains nonstop. I wish you would hear all the arguing that takes place as soon as we get in the car and we ride home today. I wish you could hear that. Scott, I wish you could go to my school. Scott, I wish you were a part of, and you name it. Because Scott, really and truly, it is almost overwhelming and it is so much easier to just back away from society and do nothing. You see, Jesus made himself available. You say, well, there's just so many hurting people. See, Andy Stanley made this statement famous and it's been used all over churches and preachers have been using it and I'm going to use it this morning because I see Jesus doing just this Andy Stanley said this do for one what you wish you could do for everyone you know Betsy who's in the cubicle beside of you there may be a very divine reason why God has her telling you all of her stuff There may be a very divine reason why God has placed you where He's placed you. And God is just asking you, hey, do for this one. Be available to just this one that I've placed in your life. I'm learning. I've been on this planet for 40 years now. And I'm learning just in recent months, maybe even a year, that everything God has orchestrated together, like He is just weaving this very divine web. And it's amazing how many lives are interacting and connecting with other people's lives. Just this week, I have a new friend, and I say he's a new friend because I just met him. But he's a godly man doing amazing things for the kingdom. And just this week I was riding him, I was driving him to lunch. And he started to talk to me about this relative of his. I had no idea. 
This relative of his was a dear friend of mine. I did his relative's funeral just over a year ago. And when I told him that I did his funeral, what a wonderful man, he said, I know you did, I was there. And it hit me again just this week. Our lives are connected. And everything that we do and everything that we say is affecting. There is an ebb and a flow. And God is the one who is orchestrating it. He said, that's why I believe that people are put in our lives. That's why I believe that you're here today. Not because the preacher is saying anything to you, but because the Holy Spirit of God is speaking His truth to your heart this very moment. You're not here by chance. And I don't believe those of you who are going to a restaurant for lunch today are going to have this particular waitress. I don't believe that's by chance. I believe God is placing these people in your life because the only hope that they may ever see is going to come in the form of your life. And if we can be aware of what God is doing, listen, we don't have to have the masses following us. We don't have to have the masses as our friends or acquaintances. I believe God is just as proud of us as followers of His Son Jesus when we're doing for one person what He's placed in front of us. You see, the pool of Bethesda was full of people. And it's in the fifth verse right here in John 5. Listen to this. We can just stop after one word. The first word of the fifth verse is one. There was one guy. Well, Scott, how do I know? How do I know that this is the one? What do I do when I find them? God, what do I do? I think we need to do what Jesus did. You see, if you ever read Scripture, you'll find that Jesus was constantly talking to the Father. Jesus was constantly talking to God, and God was constantly telling Him where to go, what to do, and even what to say. And so I'll just say this. Ask God what you need to do. Ask Him what you need to say. And then when He tells you, just do it. See, Jesus not only made himself available, not only did he care about that one, this is maybe some of the most important stuff that God's taking me through right now, is that Jesus was aware of the people around him. And I know that we can get so focused, and we can get so busy, our schedules prove it, we have an agenda, we have something that we need to accomplish, and we can forget about every single one around us. I was just talking to someone after first service, this person's a very important person, he's a leader, and he says, Scott, I find myself so busy that I'm not even close to being aware of the people around me. I just wonder how many opportunities in my 40 years that I have missed to give someone hope, to someone that needs it, 
because I've been unaware. You see, Jesus was aware. There's a story that's told in the gospel where there was this bleeding woman. This woman had a bad disease and no one could heal her. No one could help her. The doctors couldn't do anything. And Jesus was out one day walking and the crowds were just all around him. And it says that this lady simply came up and touched the edge of his robe. And Jesus was aware of it. Guys, there's people bumping into us, literally physically bumping into us. There are people standing face to face with us on a daily basis, and you and I are unaware of it. You see, Jesus, he was even aware when this lady simply touched his robe. Some of you are going to be getting in cars with people and you're going to be going somewhere after this and you're not even aware of them. Again, I just share with you what God's doing in my life. They said the typical man's attention span listening to a female or his wife is six minutes. And we wonder why we have marriage problems. Six minutes. Some of you are sitting beside people this very moment. And it's been days and weeks and months since you've been aware of them. You see, Jesus is just not someone that we worship, but Jesus is someone that we need to emulate. And we need to fall in love with Him. Because you and I, when we leave this place, we represent Jesus. You know, we've got to start somewhere. This movement of God will pass us by if we do nothing. I believe God has placed us in this community and any other community that He places us in the future for a reason. You see, we're the ones who have to be giving people who are hopeless, we have to be giving them hope. And I love the fact that everyone's so excited about this church building. I I really am. I am probably more excited than anyone. But I want to let you know that this is not something that we're going to build and it's going to be a memorial to all the work that we've done. You know, I know that sometimes churches can go in preservation mode and they try to keep everything nice and neat and clean. But guys, what we're doing here is I believe we're just simply reflecting the life of Jesus. And as long as God allows me to be a part of this movement, 
I want you to know that his church is not going to be nice and neat, but it is going to be very loud. It is going to be a very busy place, and it is going to be extremely dirty. That's the place and the reason why we're building it. Amen. Yeah. I can promise you it will be much dirtier than this cafeteria. But it is a place that's going to be much like Bethesda. Oh, it's not going to be called the house of mercy. But it is going to be a place where those sick and dying and helpless and hopeless are going to meet. Some of you guys remember the outbreak of Ebola. It was rampant in Liberia. Some of you also probably remember the name of Dr. Kent Brantley. I was reading an article recently, and it was talking about some of the happenings when Ebola was at its highest The number of people contracting the disease was on a climb and they ran out of room basically for all of the sick people. And what was happening is the infected, the dying, the sick were being put in the hospitals, but they had no place for those who thought they may be coming down with the disease. And so they needed a holding place. And the article picks up right about there. Dr. Brown, one of the persons, one of the doctors that was there with Dr. Kent Brantley, he says this, and I quote him, Brown recalls having to turn the ELWA's church chapel, that's a name for a church, isn't it? The ELWA's church chapel into an isolation ward. Since the missions hospital did not have such a section and there was no time or money to build one. Dr. Brown goes on and he says, well, of course, turning the chapel into an Ebola unit was not welcomed by the staff of the institution. The bulk of them said, why should we turn the house of God into a place where we put people with such a deadly disease? And others said, where will you provide for us a place to worship in the morning? You see, church, if we just idly sit by and we continue to be paralyzed because the staggering numbers, I promise you, it won't be long until we have this same mindset. But I don't see Jesus Christ having this mindset. I don't see his followers having this mindset. And actually, I just see just the opposite. See, it was back around the third century when there was a plague that was just ravaging the place that we know as Rome. There were people dying. They said at the height of the plague, there were around 5,000 people dying every day. I read this from a book that I've been intrigued by lately. It's a book by John Ortberg. It's entitled, Who is This Man? And I read about this story in this book, and so I just read it to you this morning. 
It says the bodies of the dying were heaped up, one on top of the other. At first, on the onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest. They fled from their family, trying not to catch this disease. They would throw them into the roads before they were dead, and they treated the unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and the catching of this fatal disease. Listen, this is my desire for the group of people that are in this place and that are a part of God's movement. This church, we've got to do something. He goes on and he says this, But there was in that world a community that remembered that they followed a man who would touch lepers while they were unclean and who told his disciples to go and heal the sick. The archbishop of Alexandria wrote these words and he wrote about these people's actions during the plagues. He says this, These people who followed Jesus, they were heedless of the danger. And they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need, and ministering to them in Christ. And with them, departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepted their pains. You see, if we're going to live this life like Christ, we've got to understand that that's exactly what Jesus did for you. Like upon Jesus was all of your sin And He took that sin of yours, not His, but yours to the cross. And there He died for you, setting you free of those sins. How dare we sit idly by and hope to God that someone else takes care of the problem. Church, we don't get the option of doing nothing. So I ask you if you would bow your heads and close your eyes. Every eye closed. We're not looking around. Hey church, we got to go to work. Not so that we can earn our salvation or get in right standing with God, but there's a lot of hopeless people that need hope in the name of Jesus. And He's put us here to do just that. If you're ready for this type of life, if you know that you have got to act, if you know that God has placed one in your life so that you can give them hope, if you're ready for this lifestyle who dies to yourself so that you can give someone else hope, I'm just going to ask you to stand.
And listen, here's the deal. Listen, do not stand just because someone's standing around you. This is serious. I understand that we're not all there yet. Can I tell you, about a year and a half ago, I probably would not have been able to stand in this worship service. Because I am not today where I was. But God is doing something in my life, and I know that He's doing something in many of your lives. And you stand here today. You stand because you're ready to go to work. You're ready to be a distributor of hope in the name of Jesus. If that's you today, I just want you to stand. And again, this is the part in the first service where I thought that it might get a little uncomfortable for those sitting. It's okay. I promise you, if you continue to seek after Jesus, there is going to be a day when He says to you, it's time for you to stand. And it's time for you to go to work. And it's time for you to be aware of those people I'm sitting around you. There is going to come a day in your life. For those of you who are standing up right now, I want you to look and open your eyes. And I want you to look around at those people that are standing with you. If you're sitting, listen, eyes closed. But if you're standing, we've got work to do. 7.2 billion, but there are a lot of hopeless people around us. I'm just asking you to make yourself available to them. To be aware of those that God is placing in your life. And then do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. can be seated. There may be some of us here today and there's no way that we can stand. We can't go take hope if we don't have hope ourselves. And so I know that I am speaking to people in this very room and you're a part of the hurting there has been devastation. You feel helpless. And you have no clue what hope feels like today. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? Scott, I need help. I need hope. Would you just raise your hand? Scott, I need that today.
touched this man and gave him life. I don't know him personally. I've never asked him to forgive me of my sins and be my Savior. I've never surrendered my life to Jesus. But today, God is saying something to me and I am ready to give my life. I need a Savior. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, would you just lift up a hand? Would you say, Scott, today, I need Jesus as my Savior. Go ahead, raise a high. See, God's at work in this place. Hey, God, we do, we surrender to you. that you're doing. I thank you for the moving of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for your strength and your power. And God, right now, there are some of us in this place. And God, we're saying we're not strong enough to do what you're asking us to do. I don't have the faith to go and be who you're calling me to be. God, how can I give someone hope if I'm not even sure that I have it myself? God, my prayer is simple. God, will you just give us the faith to be and to do what you ask of us.